Hello, and welcome to the Antique Auction Forum podcast. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have a show today with uh, connecting with someone in New York, and his uh, the antique business that he's part of is called Silly Antiques. We're going to talk about that right off the bat and get that out of the way. So can you tell us uh, where the name Silly Antiques comes from? Yeah, absolutely. I... Um... My grandparents were named Sylvia and Lee, so when my father named the company, he decided to call it Silly for uh, for short. He didn't want to do. Parents. He didn't want to do Lee Sill or anything like that. <laughs> nah, he kept it yeah. complicated. You'd be surprised yeah. to hear how many people think we're actually an Asian company, and they asked for Mr. Lee. Uh, how about that? Uh, how? <laughs> and you do sell a lot of Asian. We'll get into that. Um, you know, Chinese uh, mostly, but um, so you are second generation, like myself. And uh, you, you and I probably have a lot of parallels, you know, because I, all, while what I remember is uh, growing up in the business is being dragged around to a bunch of auctions, you know, from a very young age and, and, uh, and being bored to tears a lot and sleeping in the back of the truck and all that stuff. But um, the fever hit me after I started digging bottles. I, I really got into antique bottles. Now, how did you, uh, you know, you have to have a passion for this to stay in it. So um, my question is, how did you, Begin. What were your beginnings like? Um, basically, at the beginning, when I was younger, similar to yours, it was a couple auctions, but more the antique shows and the flea markets and sleeping in the back of the U-Hauls at Brimfield, kind of like you mentioned, which is not happy as a 10, 12-year-old kid. But uh, but that's where it started. And later on, I kind of went away from the business, but then came back. My father got sick. I had to help him out. And uh, when I came back home, I fell in love with it. I would go to auctions for fun. I would go to museums to do research. And... Um, and now I'm a history buff. When I was a kid, I never was. But uh, since yeah. then, now I uh, I enjoy what I do. I, I, history is such a part of this. You know, I mean, and and I think it's, it's real. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Red Violin. Did you happen to see that? No, I don't believe yeah. I have. Uh, it basically shows a, a, a violin from its birth and creation in the uh, 18th century in Italy. And then it follows its life of the hands it goes through. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I always wonder when I see something really nice or uh, an interesting piece, I always wonder if it could talk, what would it say? What kind of story would it yeah, have? Yeah, well, you know, as a as an auction specialist, you know more than anybody that the provenance is half of our business. So, yeah. you know, a lot of that plays a role. Yeah. And what's the antique dealer saying? You can't eat, you can't eat sentiment. I think it's something <laughs> like that. And, yeah. you know, the, the connection these pieces have with people's lives is really uh, very important to a lot of people, the chasing it, the stories they have for each item they get. But um, so you finally, you finally kind of caught the bug and is, is research a lot of what you do? Uh, research is a good portion of it with the internet. As you know, it got a lot easier now. But yeah. uh, a lot of the good uh, ways to figure out this business is definitely just getting getting in the middle of it, going on a bunch of calls, going to the flea markets, going to the auction, seeing the things in person, I think is a lot better than the research you can do online or in a book. Yeah. And making the mistakes, our school of hard knocks. Yeah. I think, as you mentioned, the, the mistakes is really when you learn. I learn a ton more when I make an error. Uh, then when I see the same thing multiple times, you know, of course, that's an easy one. But when you make a mistake, you learn from that. You never make it again. And then you figure out why you made that mistake and then you uh, correct it. That's right. Um, so I, I'd like to start right off the bat and ask you what has changed 
since we've been on this long COVID haul, uh, what has changed for you and how have you maintained your operation? Because a lot of people are struggling and uh, that have, you know, shops. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of what I do is, is in the buying part of it. So uh, I've been extremely busy because as you know, I'm in Manhattan and Manhattan as you might have heard on the radio or on the news, uh, there's a mass exodus in Manhattan. Yes. So it has gotten a lot of busier because everyone's leaving Manhattan and a lot of them are going to Long Island or out of state. But by them going to Long Island, that drives up the housing market for Long Island, which means people are selling in Long Island and Manhattan. Everyone's leaving for one reason or another. So because of that, we're very busy. But because of COVID, there are some obstacles to overcome. During March, April, there was a lot of buildings in Manhattan that wouldn't let me in. Right. I have to go to an appointment tomorrow that's in a, 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 an upscale older uh, old age home. They will not let me in unless I have a negative COVID test within one week. And I have to show proof of that. You know, wow. before it was just the temperature and you have to wear a mask. I mean, I've been asked to wear booties and gloves and it's uh, it's a challenge. You kind of got to adapt and got to do whatever is needed. But it's uh, it's definitely we kind of had to reinvent some things and figure out the best way to go about it. How has it affected the prices in your in your particular circumstance? You say if there's a flood in the market. Yes. Um, just like it's been for the past few years, you know, the good stuff seems to sell out of the middle of the road and lower end stuff doesn't really move. I will say that especially again in the spring to summertime, there was a really, really increase in auction prices. Online auctions yeah. were, were just going through the roof, like prices I've never seen for items because I think people were home shopping instead of shopping in stores or galleries. Yeah. So they were spending a ton of money and things were going at auction for more than they should. I think it, yes. it balanced out a little bit and it slowed down a little bit now, but I'm still doing a lot of business and selling. The Chinese items are still doing very well. Uh, they are still buying over there and paying decent prices. Um, mm-hmm. And I think overall, the market is pretty stable. I'm not going to say it went up a lot. I'm not going to say it went down, but it's pretty been consistent as it was before COVID in the buying process. I'm seeing myself, I mean, I'm seeing the fact that there's no, you know, public gathering auctions. There is no antiques shows as we know them. Um, I'm seeing a, the the online has really been strong. Um up in my area, maybe it's not everywhere, but it seems like things are like everything's selling. Like the collectors have to collect, so they're bidding and mm-hmm. um, they can't get the merchandise in uh, other ways that they're used to getting it. Do you have an online uh, presence? And, and is that part of your sales tool? Uh, it's definitely part of our sales pool, but we don't. I don't usually sell things, uh, like I don't have a site where I sell things outright. I have multiple auctions that I work with where I give a lot of stuff. I have an eBay person I work with and he puts a lot of stuff up. Um, I'm very specific, so I have a Chinese auctioneer put my Chinese up. I have my Russian auctioneer put my Russian stuff up. Yeah. And, um, and like you said, a lot of them are doing auctions more frequently because they are buying just to buy in many instances. Sometimes, like I'll give you an example, people used to come to the flea market and see my sister. And they would come in with a couple hundred or four or five hundred dollars every week consistently. So when they stop doing that, they still need to spend their money some way. 
So if mm. it's not at a gallery or in the store or something, they will go online and, and spend some money. And uh, and listen, I'm sure you did and I did myself. I was shopping, you know, a little bit antiques, but also on Amazon, things I really didn't need, but I just needed <laughs> to do something. So I just started buying stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think I, it, it, it happens, you know? Do you think that's affected? Now, I haven't really looked into this much, but how about the um, the artist's market, the art market? I mean, that's very strong in, in New York, of course. Um, has that uh, has that survived well enough? Uh, again, I think it's similar to the way it was before in the sense that a lot of the contemporary modern art is selling a lot more than the antique stuff. Um, I think subjects, people are getting a little sentimental. So if there's like a decent subject on the antique stuff, they'll still spend the money on that. But overall, uh, I think the art world may remain stable. I know the larger auction houses in Manhattan, I don't believe they're doing uh, live viewing. So a lot of them went to that online platform with the art as well. So they're trying to adapt and figure out ways to sell six-figure items online without people seeing them in person, which it's been the trend a little bit that way before, but not with the major art, not with the auctions. So that was a little bit of a change. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the exodus, and I live in... Maine on the coast, mm -hmm. up in the, the Rockland, Maine area. And I'll tell you, uh, I saw New York plates everywhere starting in March and people coming up to their summer homes, but also the real estate market has totally changed here. Uh, and, and I'm in a situation where I sold a place, I'm holding the mortgage on it for the person that bought it to get a balloon payment. And now I'm like, oh no, because <laughs> I can't buy. Now, I mean, I can buy, yes, but I mean, it's it's going to cost me a lot more than it would have um, two years ago. The prices have been driven up. But my question is, so there's the exodus from New York, from Manhattan. Um, the virus is going to be over. There's going to be there's going to be a vaccine. Is it just is it you think it's going to continue in that trend? Um, I'll be honest, I'm advertising heavy because I feel like there's going to be nobody left. You know, I feel within the next year or two, I think everyone or not everyone exactly, but I think a lot of people are going to be gone. I don't think they're coming back. I think people got cooped up. There was a lot of things going on in the city that just made people not feel uh, comfortable going outside, you know, for uh, many different reasons. And um, because of that, I think people just said, you know what, rather than being, you know, in a, you know, one room or two bedroom apartment, they'd like to go to other places like Maine, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, where they have more space. So a lot of times what they did was, you know, they didn't care that they were grandfathered into these, you know, very cheap rentals in Manhattan. Right. And they just yeah. said, it's not worth it. We'll get out of here. And then the people who had multiple houses, like you mentioned, uh, they would say, we're going to get rid of the city house, you know, and go out and they're just not coming back. I mean, I had people in Florida say, listen, liquidate my apartment. I know you are ready. I don't need to be there. I'm not coming back. And then also there's a lot of them in Manhattan, these HOA fees and all the fees that they have to pay on a monthly basis, even if they're not living there, even if the full, there's no mortgage is crazy. So for someone to spend five or $10,000 after their apartment's paid up with them not living there, honestly, I don't see them coming back from the people I know who lived in Manhattan because I'm a Long Island boy now. Um, most of them say it's probably going to be at least 10 years before things start to turn around and who knows who's going to be coming back to Manhattan? Are they going to be the New Yorkers or people from out of state deciding to be New Yorkers? So it's, uh, it's tricky. It's hard to say. Have, have you seen that reflected in the real estate market? Like um, any type I know of that Manhattan uh, apartments are definitely down. You could get a rental for, for a lot less, 
you know, I had a friend who bought a studio for, um, I think, 600 grand. Uh, that was for 750 six months before. So by him waiting, he saved 150 grand. And uh, and he's a younger guy, so he could wait 10 years for the market to pick up, and it's a good investment. But but yeah, in Manhattan particularly, the market is definitely, from what I've seen, people are taking whatever they can to turn over their houses or apartments. And um, and uh, in Long Island, it did go up because again, there's not as many apartments, and it's uh, you could spread uh, spread out a little bit more. But uh, in Manhattan in particular, I don't see that real estate uh, going for as much as it could have been a year ago. You know. Wow. Um, just just a thought of just picking your brain here, because uh, I, I have a friend that has 10 auctions or so lined up that are that are in, uh, you know, tractor trailer trucks uh, parked on his properties, waiting, already cataloged and rate, waiting for an auction audience. And I'm wondering that has to be happening in other places where people want to have a public auction and not an online auction. And they had to get it out of a property, had to get out right away or whatever, and they had to store it. Um, in your situation, it's even more, uh, must be more prevalent because of all the people moving out. And what I'm getting at is, do you think it's going to be like a, a dam breaking and all this merchandise flooding onto the market once there can be public gatherings again? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. Like I said, a lot of the auctioneers that I work with, uh, they seem to be going online. So they're putting items up, including furniture and everything, and and they're just selling whatever they can. I do know a few people who have large storage units, and like you said, they're just piling it up, waiting for uh, for the live experience. But not as many as uh, as you might have by you over here. It's a lot of the smalls that are easy to sell. This even before this, they didn't have a lot of space to. To put a lot of the uh, antiques, with the exception of the mid-century modern, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't move in uh, Long Island or Manhattan. Uh, now, in this whole climate over the the last year, just about a year now, um, have you seen any changing trends at all, or is it, or is it kind of staying like the same, like you said earlier? You know, the really good pieces, of course, are holding their own. But are the, is there any different type of trend? with the way things are? Um, the only trend I could think of is people are sometimes buying a little bit more for themselves. I think being in their environment and sometimes getting wanting a little bit of change, I think a lot of the people who are like semi-dealers, semi-collectors moved a little bit more to that collector side, started buying stuff that you know they wouldn't have bought maybe six, eight months ago, but they're just saying, oh, it's a nice piece. It's not too expensive. The market is a buyer's market. You know, Maybe I'll buy this piece and sit on it, you know? I think that's a little bit of change, which is good because, uh, again, you know, if, if the auctions are going to do very well, which is good for the dealers and everybody because it just helps the market in general. So I think when people are a little bit more impulsive, I think that's good for everybody in our business. Right, right. I, I saw a situation where I helped out a friend, uh, basically cataloged a, an, an entire estate, and he put this on a bidding platform. I don't know if you've heard of this, Auction Ninja. Have you heard of that? I knew you were going to say that. Absolutely. Everything um, starts at a dollar and there's no minimum. And I was like really nervous, but I didn't have to be. Everything in the entire house, 343 lots uh, in large groups as well. Everything sold and it did way better than expectations starting at a dollar. How do people have, I mean, these people were, it was an estate in a situation like that and and they put it in the hands of 
of the auctioneer and, and, and I just basically ran everything. But I mean, will people, you know, in your situation, would people make the plunge to say, okay, start at a dollar? I mean, it's such a hard thing to push. It is. Uh, I totally agree with you, and I uh, and I thought the same thing about it. Over here, there's tons of them because a lot of the estate sale companies, and there's a lot of them in Long Island. A lot of them uh, pushed to online auctions because they weren't allowed to do in person. Now it's a little bit of both. They are allowing a little bit, but yeah, auction ninja is very popular. And sometimes I'll walk through an entire house and I say, "Listen, there's a couple items for me, but I really think it's better for you to do an estate sale." And then I bring up the auction ninja and the dollar reserve. And they said, oh, if it goes for $2, you know, this is from my grandmother. And I, yeah. and I explained to them, like you probably did, or whoever had to make that uh, explanation, that uh, basically it'll gonna, it's going to go for what the market will bring. You know, it's going to have enough people to look at it. Same thing with eBay. You know, they could start it at a dollar. It could still sell for 10 grand because uh, whatever the market is, is, is the market. And auction ninja, it has a good enough presence now, maybe a little bit less before, but now enough people know about it. There's enough people, there's enough dealers, there's enough collectors on there to bring the prices that the pieces warrant. So I think that it is hard to push to the client, but I think that um, in many cases, you know, the real estate is the most important. So if the house is sold, what I always explain yeah. to them is that you know the smalls inside your house is not where your money is your money is going to be in the house that you sold at the peak of the market don't worry too much about the smalls we got to get it out one way or another yeah yeah um so usually people like you would have a story of um i, I love these stories and i'm sure you have probably several but i'd love to hear one from you and that is someone that had something that you were working with and they had no idea what it was worth and were pleasantly surprised. Do you have one or two of those stories? Yeah, I have, I have a few. Um, there was, uh, you know, a lot of times with the Asian market, I think that people can be surprised because people could have inherited something from a while back and uh, not had an idea. So uh, I'll give you an Asian example. There was a, a woman who had a, a figure that she inherited from her father and, um, I think it was uh, Nepalese Tibetan. It was uh, they could never figure out, but they figured it was one of those two countries. It was uh, thousands of years old. It was in her house, and it was behind her couch. Kids kept knocking it over. So when I looked at everything, I showed it to an auction specialist, and she had an idea that it could be worth some money. But long story short, the piece sold for about one hundred eighty thousand dollars. You know, and the best thing about it was that the provenance for a piece like that has to be there because a lot of times if you don't have proof that it's been here in a certain amount of time, you know, it can get confiscated as being stolen from a temple or something like that. And uh, she had a picture of it in the 70s with her and her father in the home in Long Island. That was enough provenance and the piece did, uh, it did great. That's wonderful. And so when you go into a house, is there a, like a line that needs to be uh, met and then you'd say hey this piece should go to an auction and I'll handle that for you is that the type of thing you do it, it's a good question uh, a lot of times I'll present them with options you know I want to make sure my clients are very comfortable so I'll say listen um, I can get you five thousand dollars cash for this item right now or have an auctioneer that is willing to put it up for a seven to nine thousand dollar estimate uh, it would be you know, a few month process, but you will likely have more money if you have the time and you want to take a chance, no guarantees, which I have to make very clear Yes. for obvious reasons, um, then you can make your decision. 
So that's the way it is for uh, for a lot of the higher end items. If the item is under a thousand dollars, after commissions and fees, most of the time I'm not going to recommend an auction with few exceptions unless it's multiple many items. But I would say if you're talking about a monetary value, I think over a thousand dollars. You know, I kind of like to give them an option of would you rather do this or that, and then kind of go from there. Yeah, and, and trust is a trust is a hard thing to gain um, unless you're a company that's been established for a long time. You mentioned that some people trusted you enough to say, just go in and, and take care of it. So obviously you've treated people right over the years. Um, one of the things I see on your, on your website is some Russian pieces. That market has remained very strong for quite a while for the really good, you know, Russian pieces. Mm -hmm. And do you get a lot of that in your area? Uh, we do, you know, especially, you know, a lot of uh, Russians uh, are in Manhattan, a lot of Rus wealthy Russians are in um, in Brooklyn, and a lot of descendants from those areas are definitely here. People who came from Europe or people who grandparents uh, came from Russia. So we do see a lot of that. Now, of course, we always are looking for the Fabergé stuff, which I barely ever see. I see a lot of copies, but we have to know the difference. Yeah. But we do see a lot of Russian stuff. And that's another thing similar to the Chinese market in the sense where you could have a piece that looks like just look just looks exactly like something you're looking up online. And in, in reality, it was made yesterday, not 120 years ago. Yeah. So you definitely need specialists. And I'm a generalist, so I know a good amount about everything, probably similar yeah. to yourself. But yeah. I have specialists I work with that are, you know, that's all they do all day long is that specific topic, like a Russian specialist, Chinese specialist, you know, a silver specialist and so on and so forth. So if something's a little bit out of my, you know, expertise or I just want to double check myself, it's good to have these people on hand to uh, to assist me and my clients. I think it's amazing when you get a really good specialist. They Before they even walk across the room to look at something, they already know what it is. You yeah. Know, whether it's right or whether it's... Uh, you know, a copy or whatever, They're just like an instant. It's pretty amazing to watch some of these people. Yeah. And Martin, you probably have done this a lot lately. A lot of what I do is simple text messages. So I send a picture of something. And as you mentioned, I'll have a picture of something with like the foot of a lamp sticking out in the picture. And they'll tell me the age of the lamp and what the lamp looks like with just the foot. So as you mentioned, sometimes <laughs> these experts, you know, like I have a gun specialist who could tell me the age of a rifle, you know, just by looking at a part of the barrel. And he tells me everything about what I'm looking at without even the next picture. So like you said, it's amazing yeah. when you have these people who know what they're looking at just from a portion of the piece. Yeah, they live and breathe it. And um, so and that's why they, they get good. Now, I want to ask you, um, we're getting toward the end of the uh, podcast here. But as far as uh, young people, what what is the trend? What are you seeing? You know, we, we've been saying, you know, the kids don't want it, they, the, the Ikea generation or whatever. I'm seeing, I personally am seeing a little bit of a turn in that. I don't know. Are you observing any of that? Um, a little bit. I think with, the, and again, I don't know exactly how you feel about it, but that mid-century modern market, you know, people, even the younger, especially the hipsters, you know, in the downtown New York area, some of the Brooklynites, they love the mid-century stuff. They like things a little bit worn, and they like that stuff. And again, it's 1950s, so it's a weird way to categorize it. But, you know, they love a little bit of different stuff, being eclectic, throwing that in there. You know, so I think that's very popular. And it's kind of nice to see people into that. You know, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like whatever they want to collect. Just the fact <laughs> that they collect the um, one auction I was involved with recently. I was surprised at the young people. 
um, that were buying. I mean, I, I was happily surprised, I should say, mm-hmm. that um, they would are, were actually putting their money in things that are going to last. You know, yeah, been, they made it this far and they're going to continue. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great because you know it's it's very few and far between. As you know, the dishes nobody wants, the silver yeah. no one wants to shine. It's a little bit more of a less is more generation. So yeah, to have them collect anything. I think it's uh, like you mentioned. It, it's a good feeling to know that some people have appreciation like we do because most of my friends, being yeah. you know my age, they they are definitely not. You know, so for the few that are, I definitely uh, I like that. Yeah, a, a friend of mine in the Midwest says if it has anything to do with the dining room, they don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. The coffee table is the new dining room table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Adam, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to speak with someone who uh, has similar taste and similar ideas. Yeah, yeah. All right, you take care. And your your website, you know, well, I never even asked you exactly where you're located. Yeah, no problem. I'm in uh, West 25th Street in Manhattan, but uh, my website has all the information. And most of what I do is visit our clients in their homes or apartments. So we come to you pretty much anywhere. I don't know about Maine, but uh, <laughs> I'll be your I'll, I'll be your your main agent. Uh, that's perfect. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good to me. All right. Thanks so much. All right, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. That's it. Uh, we are going to see you next time here at the Antique Auction uh, Podcast, and thank you for listening.